Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Williams and you're listening to Know Your Own Psychology. After many years building a successful career as a psychologist, I finally realised that it didn't reflect the autonomy and freedom I wanted in both my life and work. As I made plans to begin working for myself, my husband died suddenly and my whole world fell apart. But with a young family to look after and big dreams I did not want to give up on, I took some time and in the middle of the global pandemic, I left my old life behind. Today, I'm a private psychologist, digital course creator, mum to five and best-selling author. My mission is to simplify psychological ideas so that you can know your own psychology, influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose. Are you ready to be empowered? This is Know Your Own Psychology, the podcast. Welcome back to episode eight of Know Your Own Psychology. So today on the podcast, I'm dropping past with six things that I want you to know about anxiety. And I've not talked about specific psychological problems yet on the podcast. Mainly, I think, because this stuff is my bread and butter clinically. And I think because of that, I maybe forget sometimes just how useful it can be to have someone breaking it down a little so that you can make sense of things for yourself. So yeah, that's the plan today. Now, before I do that, it's the 1st of November and I'm just wondering if anyone like me is already beginning to feel that slide towards Christmas and all the things that we feel we have to get organised and do at this time of year. There just seems to be so much, right? And let's not also forget the current financial climate we are facing at the moment in the UK with rising mortgage rates and food and fuel bills through the roof. And the reason that I am talking to that today before I go into this episode is that because when we are holding a larger mental load of all the things that we are having to think about and do and we are also under pressure in some way it's often much much easier for us to experience and fall into patterns of anxiety and I do get on my soapbox a bit about how anxiety is portrayed these days but stick with it as I hope I can help you think about your own possible level and type of anxiety, which in my view is as individual as you are, and more on that in a second. Lastly, before I get on into it properly, I wanted to say thank you for those of you who listened to my last episode, Grief, Trauma and Me. I knew it would be an episode that people would be interested in, as it was very vulnerable and raw, But since last week, the episode has had over 260 downloads the last I checked, which essentially catapulted the podcast back up and into number 64, I think it was, at its highest on the Apple Podcasts UK chart. I am super grateful to have made an impact with it 
and all the messages of support and the stories of people's own losses was so appreciated. So thank you. Okay, introduction's over. Let's dive in and explore what I think everyone should know about anxiety. Okay, I'll be back in just a second. Right, so welcome back. Now, the first thing I want to say is that it seems to me that the way anxiety is talked about in the press and on social media is and has been becoming increasingly unhelpful over recent years. Anxiety has literally become this catch-all umbrella term that's used for everything from things like mild worry to absolutely crippling social anxiety. And this overuse of anxiety as a term does two things in my view. The first thing is it can mean that the intensity of anxiety that people experience sometimes can be minimised. And I think that's unhelpful because people who are really genuinely suffering um, can often feel like it's just been thrown around willy-nilly. While at the same time, things like mild symptoms like worry can be blown out of all proportion. So that's why it's a little bit of the backstory as to why I wanted to do this podcast and set the record straight on some things related to anxiety that I think are really important to know. So let's start with, um, I'm going to go through these things one by one. Um, And yeah, let me start with this. So the first thing to say is that anxiety is normal, right? Anxiety is the body and mind's way of saying, hey, pay attention over here. And I think that's often forgotten. But our fight flight system is there for a reason. And if you're able to check in emotionally with yourself from time to time and find some anxiety in the mix, I would recommend you do a bit further exploration. Maybe even just asking yourself, what is it that is present in my life right now that is having this impact and making me feel this way? And when you've given some time over to that and prioritised a little bit of self-exploration, what you can then do if you've identified some things that are unhelpful is do a bit of a course correction and make the changes that might help. But generally this first point is as simple as this. Anxiety firstly needs to be seen as the adaptive process that it actually is. It is a guide and we can use it to our advantage. And I really hope that one resonates with a lot of people um, because I think it's very, very important that we don't um, either dumb down anxiety for the people who are really, really struggling with it or talk up anxiety for those people who are just experiencing a normal level. Okay, point number two. With all that said, for some people, anxiety can, over time, 
really limit them if it's left unchecked. So this is like the equivalent of when you hear um, a freeze response being spoken about. So years ago in psychology, we only ever really discussed the fight or flight response. Now, helpfully, we also talk about a freeze response where anxiety can almost paralyse people and over time they get very, very stuck and don't really know how to get themselves out of it. And incidentally, this is typically where I see clinically the interplay between anxiety and depression. Because when people have been stuck for so long, their day-to-day mood starts to suffer. Now, if this is you, and you recognise that pattern in yourself, it's also important to find out what type of anxiety you're dealing with personally and perhaps get some support for it. You know, it's like it's become intractable and perhaps that's a point that you need a bit of support. And that support might vary depending on your circumstances and all those kind of things. And while I've brought up low moods, it's interesting for me personally as a clinician that I myself find low mood and depression much more difficult to hold space for. Um, Even back in my clinical training, I remember finding it much more challenging when people were low to contain that emotion and to help pull people out of that place. And it makes sense in some ways, of course, you know, feeling depressed is not pleasant and sitting with people within their low moods is also, you know, difficult to see and feel. But also, I think just as a person, I would be much more likely to present with an anxiety issue than anything else. Now, one last thing here that I think is potentially useful for you is a quick way to consider this is that when people are anxious, their thoughts are usually what I would term future focused. So things like, you know, what if this happens? Or worry about what may occur at some future point in the distance. And by contrast, when people are depressed, their thoughts can often be past focused and be related to past experiences that were perhaps challenging or difficult or traumatic in some way. And I really see it as my job is often to help people identify these unhelpful patterns, um, particularly when they're at their most extreme, and try to draw them back to the middle ground, which is the present moment. And yeah, I think balance is important to talk about here. Everything comes back to balance in the end, doesn't it? And so let's imagine that perhaps things are just a bit off kilter, that anxiety has risen up and what you're trying to do is bring yourself back to the balanced middle ground. Okay, point number three. Anxiety, this is a big one, so pay attention. (laughs) Anxiety is not just one thing. This is where I really jump onto my soapbox as the media portrayal of anxiety as a catch-all thing is incredibly frustrating as a mental health clinician. There are many types of anxiety disorders and the thing about them is that the majority of people will never meet criteria for them. 
And so what does that tell us? Well, I think what it tells us is that most people will likely experience worry and anxiety from time to time, but it will not be unmanageable. And I think that sometimes this messaging when anxiety is talked about as this one thing also downplays the idea that we have agency and the resources and the capability to deal with our anxiety without necessarily getting support for it, okay? And so, yeah, anxiety is not just one thing. Maybe you've heard of some anxiety disorders, but it includes things like phobias, so thing, you know, like a phobia to dogs or birds or needles, those types of things. OCD, social anxiety, generalised anxiety, all of which have different treatment approaches with some broad similarities in terms of how you approach anxiety generally. And so that's why it's important that anxiety is not dumbed down as a one-size-fits-all thing, because good treatment should be evidence-based to the type of anxiety that you have. And so a treatment for OCD would look very, very different to a treatment for, say, social anxiety, potentially, or a phobia. And while I'm talking about this, OCD is um, something that I am really interested in. I find it such a fascinating thing to work with, primarily because it's... it's um, a very evidence it has a very evidence-based treatment that works well when um, the protocol is kind of followed if you like and I mean who here has not heard oh you know people say oh yeah I'm a bit OCD or I know someone who has OCD and they're not really talking about OCD they're talking about neatness or a tidy house or those types of things Anxiety disorders like OCD, social anxiety, generalised anxiety will limit people to the point where their lives are not being lived um, as they should or as they perhaps been have been in the past. And that actually brings me on to point four, which is anxiety literally breeds avoidance. Now, this is a massively important part of the impact of anxiety um, on individuals and as a collective society or even within like the organisations in which you might work, those types of things. It stops us from doing things that we are scared of. And the thing about that is initially that makes us feel safer. It makes us feel secure and we feel relieved when we, you know, don't do the thing that's going to make us feel anxious and worried. But before long, over time, our lives can start to look very different from what they were before. So maybe some of you out there, you know, you've recognised this and it started as you not going out as much, but perhaps you now avoid social gatherings altogether. Or you've developed ways to perhaps, um, you know, hide your OCD or other forms of anxiety from those who are closest to you. And it may mean things like at work you avoid presentations or meetings and all of this can have such a detrimental impact on people. Um, and even, as I say, things like productivity within workforces and organisations can be pulled down by this stuff. 
And that brings me on to point five, which is about treatment. Now, broadly speaking, the treatment for anxiety is to counteract that avoidance. And really, it's not easy, but it's about exposing yourself to whatever the fear is. So psychologists will often be working with people um, in a treatment approach called graded exposure, where you develop a hierarchy of what would be least anxiety provoking to the most anxiety provoking, and you're going to work your way gradually through that. And what you learn over time is that even when you start jumping up to the higher rungs of that ladder, if you like, that your anxiety feelings will habituate and eventually they'll come down. And the problem that we have with avoidance is we think that makes us feel better, but in actual fact, over time, it makes us feel worse. Now, don't get me wrong, these types of treatment approaches take time. It can and is very hard, can be and is hard work. But putting strategies and systems in place to ensure that you can return to life as it was before or to scaffold people within the workforce as they build their skills over time can have such a positive impact. And so, yeah, I think it's something to consider. Now, the last point that I wanted to make about anxiety um, that I think is useful for people to know is that treatment for anxiety must be tailored to your particular difficulties and what is feasible for you. And this is where good psychological assessment and formulation comes in. And that should take into consideration the particular anxiety problem you present with and consider you as an individual, as well as the environment in which you live and work in. It should also consider things that, you know, biological, psychological and social factors to ensure that you're coming at this from a truly holistic approach and I strongly believe that psychological interventions that don't take these things into consideration will just not be as effective. So if you focus only on the psychological and you do lots of cognitive restructuring, cognitive reframing which is basically you know helping people to shift their thoughts that's all well and good but if their environment creates anxiety then how is that going to work when you put them back into that without any consideration of other strategies or things that might um, be helpful there? Okay. Right. So that was a quick run through of six things that I think you should know about anxiety. I hope that's cleared a few things up and helped you maybe think about it even a little bit differently. And if you're now sat there thinking, oh my goodness, I recognise this in myself, this is me, but maybe you don't think you need one-to-one therapy, then I have a potential solution for you. My online self-help programme, Know Your Own Psychology, is designed to help people to understand themselves and their thoughts, feelings and behaviours better. It teaches the tools that you need to self-assess and formulate your current difficulties and, crucially, past experiences to then make the changes to reduce things like anxiety so that you can live with more meaning, freedom and purpose. Now, the course is set to launch officially again in January 2023 and I'm really excited about that. 
But if you're listening to this episode and would like to get started sooner, you can be the first to know that I'm going to do a secret doors open in a couple of weeks time. You will be able to enrol for just one week and I've decided to hold the rate for the course at the founding member's price. So if that's you and you're interested, you can join the waiting list and be the first to know when the doors open. To do that, go to www.knowyourownpsychology.com forward slash opt hyphen in. I'll also put the link in the show notes, so don't worry if you didn't catch that. It'll be there and you can just click on in. Right, I hope you have a great week. And if you have any questions for me or would like to check in with me on any of the points that I've covered today, you can do that as ever by emailing me hello at drlaurawilliams.com. All right, guys, take care and I hope to find you listening again soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Know Your Own Psychology. If you loved it, please share it on Facebook or Instagram for your friends and family. And if you really want to help me out, drop a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, you can email me, hello at drlaurawilliams.com. And if you would like to know your own psychology better, influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose, come and join my growing community over on Facebook. Search Know Your Own Psychology and make a request.